This morning we're going to look at Genesis 16, but before we do that, just wanted to uh, give you an update on what's going on with me since I've been out for the last three weeks. Um, so uh, tomorrow, I've got my notes here because I need to stick to these. Um, tomorrow will be four weeks post-surgery. So those of you that may just be joining us for the first time, uh, I had the lower lobe of my right lung taken out um, four weeks ago tomorrow. Um, I, I do have, my cancer is back, and so uh, now I'm trying to figure out uh, what I need to do regarding chemotherapy. So even though the surgeon feels like he got everything when he took out that lower lobe, uh, they are encouraging me to do chemo for six months, uh, more or less as preventative care. So I'm working through second and third opinions to see if that's a good thing to do. I have to make that decision in the next number of weeks. And so if you want to pray for that, you certainly are welcome to do that. I would greatly desire you to pray for me. Um, I feel pretty good. Uh, I'm still a little sore, so if you want to hug me afterwards, just remember I got three incisions here and one on my back, so don't squeeze me too hard. I'm still a little sore, um, but I feel, I feel good. Um, I'm starting to get some targeted physical therapy, which will help me with my breathing. So if I seem to lose my breath a little bit today, that may happen. Um, and for those of you that are keeping score at home, I survived my sixth sneeze yesterday at seven o'clock. So things are getting much better in that department. But I will say that it seems that my sneezing is getting deeper. And so I'm still struggling with figuring out how to do that too. So it's this weird moment where I feel like I need to take in this deep breath, but it isn't there. And so I just kind of get locked in this, do I have air, do I not? And then it just happens and then there's just pain. So it's just weird moment, but it's getting much better. Um, so that's my, um, I'm leaning toward doing chemo. So there's a little bit of my health update, which I, I think most of you knew, or I think that was basically last week. Um, so how am I doing? Well. I uh, spent some time thinking about this, and so I wanted to communicate this, this to you. Um, here's how I'm doing. One, I'm really glad to be here. I have missed you and missed being in worship with you. So I need you to know that from the top. I'm really happy to be here. Next, God didn't invite me behind the curtain. He didn't ask me to serve on the planning committee. He didn't ask me for advice or approval. His plan is unfolding. I know that cancer is not my end. It's not my highest goal. It's not my, it doesn't define who I am. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm trying to wade into that. Um, if you'll allow me perhaps a little bit of freedom here, um, I'm thankful that God listens to me communicating in all kinds of ways. Lord, I am busting my donkey. Can I catch a break? Because I've communicated that in all kinds of ways. And I'm thankful that he listens to me when I say such things to him. Even if I have no leg to stand on. Uh, Jenny and I sat through a service last week in which um, the pastor was preaching through Matthew 8 and I felt the weight of the person who said to Jesus, 
from Matthew 8, Lord, if you are willing, heal me. It wasn't a question of whether or not he was able. It's a question if he was willing. So I am learning to pray that afresh. In other words, I'm still in James 1 and Romans 5 territory. Lord, please have your perfect work in me through this. Apparently God has, uh, knows that I have a lot of character that still needs to be developed and a lot of endurance that needs to be worked into me and I need to have a much deeper sense of the hope that is real that I have that apparently I don't have a real sense of that hope in the way that he wants me to. So he's working all these things into me. And if you want to pray James 1 and Romans 5, I'd love that. That God would have his perfect work in me. I'm still not in that Philippians 121 where that's just rolling off my tongue. To live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm not there. I'm still in Romans and James 1. Um, and lastly, it's hard not to be able to thank people in the way that Jenny and I feel like we need to. Um, our words of thanks just seem too small. And we want you to know that. Um, we really appreciate all of your kindness to us and your grace toward us and mercy toward us and prayers for us and food and coming by and all the things that you've done. We really appreciate it a lot. And um, again, I'm not trying to sound Debbie Downer here. I feel good. I'm getting back out on the tennis court and playing as much as I can. Um, I'm just, I just got to do the next thing. That's where I am. And a lot of you ask me what you can do. Let me tell you, I'm trying to walk this razor's edge of doing as much as I can and not knowing what's next. So it's really hard to say this is what I need when I'm trying to do everything I feel like doing. Does that make sense? That's just where I am. So I wish I had better answers for you when you say, what can we do for you? I, I don't know other than what you're doing. I really don't. I can't imagine going through this without certainly my family, but without you all as my church family. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really mean it. And I'll be around afterwards, and you're welcome to follow up with more questions as you have them. I'm no doctor, but I'm well on my way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I just feel like I'm learning a whole new language, you know. Um, and I, in some ways, I'm enjoying that. Well, I have nowhere else to go than to the Bible and to the gospel. So let's look at Genesis 16 together. If you'd like to send your children to Children's Church, you're welcome to send them to the back doors and they'll be taken just down the hall. And if you want to walk them down the hall as, your, as a parent, please do that. And remember that they'll be joining us at the end as we take communion together. So it'll be a little noisy. Children will be coming in. It's going to be great. So just get ready for that. It's not a distraction. Our people are coming back. And that's good. So I want to read to you Genesis 16. Listen to this. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, 
and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, that is, that's Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. Did you get where I used my terminology this morning? He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, please remind us again that we're not here to learn how to be nicer people. We're not here because we need to learn just a few tips on how to be a better person. We're not here because we need five new steps to make our marriage work or to get the relationship that we want. We're not here because we just need advice. We're here because we need the good news of the gospel. We're here because we need to remember that your book is a story about the truth of reality that you've created, we've rebelled, you, Jesus, have redeemed, and you, Father, Son, and Spirit are gonna make all things new, and heaven and earth will be reunited again. So press that story into us and enable us to understand more and more of what you have done, Jesus, through your perfect life on the cross and what it means that the tomb is empty. Work those truths into us, even as we look here in Genesis 16. All for your glory. Amen. Remember our catchphrase for doing, remember our catchphrase for thinking about the life of Abraham this summer. Uh, letting go, leaving behind, and traveling light. So if you want to know what it means to believe, think about that. Think about what you need to let go of. Think about traveling light. Think about leaving behind. Now, as we go through Genesis 16 this morning, this is going to be the roadmap. We're going to walk back through the story. I'm going to try to add in some things and connect things so you have a sense of what's going on in this chapter. I'm not going to cover every little detail, but I want you to know a sense of the story. 
And then we'll have our so what. What does this mean for my life? We'll have two takeaways, if you will. We'll think about so what from two vantage points. So let's jump into the story. And in jumping into Genesis 16, let's not forget about what's happened prior to this. Very briefly, God has set up the world. And we rebelled against him not long after that. And because of our rebellion, things just got worse and worse and worse. And you can read all about it from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11. I'm talking about polygamy. I'm talking about receiving a blessing from God and the initial response is to get blacked out drunk. I'm talking about building a tower so that we can get rid of God and not scatter like he wants us to scatter. I'm talking about staying together and pulling all of our resources and building the biggest building and tower we can because we don't want to go anywhere. We just want to be together. And God not liking any of that. Oh, and that doesn't even mention anything about the flood and everything else. And you would think after reading all of that in Genesis 3 all the way through Genesis 11, if you want to, you would think after all of that, God would say, I'm done. But he's not. God intervenes. And God speaks into this life, into the life of this guy named Abram, who didn't grow up in a believing home. God pursued this guy and he determined that he was going to change the world through Abram and his wife Sarah. In other words, the way God set up the world in Genesis 1 and 2 is the way things are going to be. And there's nothing that can stop it, not even our rebellion. So God Meets this man, Abram, pursues this man, Abram, and he hops on the scene in Genesis 12, and he's 75 years old. And God tells him, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a land, you're going to have a people, and you, through you, all of the nations are going to be blessed. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, imagine if you knew how God was going to use you to affect people hundreds and even thousands of years down the line. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I mean, most of us settle for things like, Lord, can you bless me so that I can do this, right? God's my much different plans, much bigger plans. So we meet Abram in chapter 12 when he's 75, and now we come to Genesis 16, and Abram is 86 years old. 11 years have passed since we first met him, and God is determined to still do everything that he set out to do from the beginning. Well, chapter 16 starts with a new story and new information. If you look at verse 1, we find out this startling truth. The crib is still empty. Sarah's wanted a child. God told them they were going to have one. It's been 11 years. And she's 11 years older. Crib's still empty. What's she going to do? You see, what's just underneath the surface of all this is that God has made promises to her that she will have a child, and yet she doesn't have a child. So, she's upset. Look at what she says to Abram. She goes to her husband and she says, Abram, God is preventing me from doing this. God is against me. He does not want this to happen. 
even though he said he did. Right? I mean, we read it and we're like, what's wrong with this lady? I mean, God said it was going to happen. But no, she's living it. And nothing is happening. Do you ever feel like God moves slow? Does God ever move too slow for you? Really? Does God ever move slow for you? Because if you think that he does, guess what? You're right in the story. You're right there. I'm right there. I think God's moving way too slow for my cure. So she comes to Abram and blames him. Says this is God's problem. And then she proposes to go in a different direction. Well, since God isn't doing what he said he's going to do, then Abram, you and I need to go in a different direction. We need to pivot. We need to take matters into our own hands. So here's what I want you to do, Abram. I have this servant. I have this person that works for me. In the ancient world, I own her. And I want you to have physical relations with her. I want you to try to get her pregnant. Because we're going to fix this, me not having a child thing. See, in the ancient world, it was actually a law that if you were married and you didn't have a child within two years, the husband was allowed to have sexual relations with someone who was under and in his house. So it was actually legal to do this. It was actually legal in the culture of the day for Sarah to take this option. So she goes to Abram and says, I want you to have physical relations with Hagar. And Abraham, being the stand-up guy that he is, the hero of our faith, gets up, perhaps strokes his beard, and absolutely caves. He absolutely wimps out, doesn't he? Okay, Sarah, I'll do it. So, they end up following Sarah's plan. Becomes Abraham's plan. Becomes their plan. Then, as a result of that, the rest of this chapter, everything is a mess. Everything. Go back through and read it. When Abram and Hagar sleep together, Hagar becomes pregnant. Guess what that does for Hagar? Oh, she thinks she, she is something now. She looks a different way at Sarah. She sees herself as superior to Sarah. Sarah can't have a child, she can. So now that she's pregnant, now Sarah brought down a couple notches. She thinks that she is better than Sarah. Well, that leads to Sarah getting upset. So she ends up going to Abram and says, look what you did. It's right there in the text. You did this to me. And Abram, being the hero of the faith that he is, the incredible man that he is, stands up, maybe strokes his beard, and caves. And says, well, do with Hagar what you want. She belongs to you. So guess what Sarah does? She gets mean. Have you ever had that inclination? 
You ever come across somebody who thought that they were better than you and you knew it? You could tell because something had changed, something had shifted. So you decided to get mean. That ever happen? I mean, this, this can't possibly be a real story, can it? Hope you know I'm being sarcastic. How real is this story? So Sarah gets mean, is brutal to Hagar. So much so that Hagar runs away. She runs like she is headed to Egypt, which is where she is from. She's like, I'm out of here, I'm going somewhere else. In the ancient world, a woman who's a runaway slave, pregnant, how do you think that's gonna go for her? She is running toward a dead end quick. She gets out in the wilderness on her way to Egypt. And this angel of the Lord meets her. Amazing experience for Hagar. The angel of the Lord starts talking to her and look at verse 11 and 12, explains to her about her own son. Yes, Hagar, you're gonna have a son. You're gonna name him Ishmael. And let me tell you about him. He's, a gonna, he's gonna be a wild man. And, and, and conflict is gonna surround him. He's gonna be against everyone and everybody's gonna be against him. But you're gonna have a great people. There's gonna be a gigantic number of people from this guy and from your lineage. But I need you, Hagar, the angel of the Lord says, Hagar, I need you to go back to Sarah and Abram's house. I need you to go back. Now, here's what you need to know that you might not pick up on here. Don't forget what God told Abraham in Genesis 12. There is no blessing to the world apart from Abram and Sarah. God is determined that he's going to affect the whole world through that family. So she's got to go back if she wants to know blessing. She's got to go back if she wants to understand what God has intended for her. She's got to go back. And here's the deeper truth. In Genesis 21, because she goes back, she finds her freedom. She gets set free. In other words, she thought she could run away and run to freedom, and she couldn't. She thought the hardship that she was going through was useless. It wasn't. And by staying under a very difficult situation for a short period of time meant that that was the way to freedom. And beloved, this may be a really strange place to interject this, but I need you to hear that's the point of the gospel there is no bloodless path to glory. The way that we find freedom is by dying. The way that we find true freedom is to lose ourselves. That's the whole point of what Jesus has done. That's the whole point of grace. That's the whole point of receiving Christ. It's the whole point of the message of good news. That there's nothing you can do to earn it. And the way to freedom is not weaseling your way out of something. The way to freedom is oftentimes through hardship and difficulty. 
It's through the cross. Well, real briefly, who is this angel of the Lord? You can tell that Hagar is amazed that she has this encounter. I have been with the one who sees me, which literally means I've been in the presence of someone who sees all the way through me and sees everything about me and who recognizes me in my, in my low estate, in my low position, and in my wandering position in the wilderness who feel like I'm all alone, I'm all isolated. This person sees me. You ever been there? And she knows that this being sees way down into her and she begins to worship him and dedicates this well to him. And notice that the text doesn't say an angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. And we can't go into all kinds of semantical, semantic things here, but just know this. The vast majority of scholars that actually love the Bible See this as the second person of the Trinity. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That she meets God and that he cares for her and pursues her. And she was affected by that for the rest of her life. Well, that's the story. So what? what? What does this have to do with my life? How does this affect me as I go to work? How does this affect me and my family? How does this affect me as I'm single? How does this affect me with all my unmet expectations? How does this affect me in my future? How does this affect me in the conflict or struggle I'm going through right now? What does this have to do with me? Well, let me tell you two things. For, put them out for your consideration. Here's the first one. Look to God. Everything in this passage is compelling me and compelling us to look to God. Let's just start here. You might be wondering why in the world is this story in the Bible? Like this is messed up. This is backwards. This is not the way things should be. This is mistreatment of people. This is not good at all. Friends, God records the Bible with life as is. We can westernize it and sanitize it and change language to make it much clearer, crisper to our satisfaction than we want. God writes about the way things really are. He's not endorsing everything in this chapter. He's saying this is what it's like to live in a fallen world. This is life as is. This is relatable. Look to God. This is not a passage that you should read and think, man, this is horrific. God has terrible views of women and both. No, he's not endorsing any of that. He's just saying, I know what it's like to live in a fallen world, which to me is incredibly beautiful because God is writing in this chapter about situations that we deal with all the time. Do you know what it's like to have a promise from God and yet not see that promise come to fulfillment? 
Do you know what it's like to expect something from God and then have to wait? Do you know what it's like to live again as if God is just slow? Too slow? Does that relate to you at all? God is highlighting the tension that all of us feel because we all live between whatever you want to say, promise and deliverance. We're all here, but we're waiting for Jesus to return. And we said times, how long is it going to be, Lord? Specifically, Lord, what, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to deal with that? When's this going to change? It's beautiful that God records this. He knows us. And without endorsing and saying that all of our decisions are okay, because they're not, God knows what it's like. Now, have you ever been tempted to take matters into your own hands and do something that's legal just to get the results you want? That's Sarah. Here, I'll just work and do this. I, I got this way. I can go this route. I can take care of this. Look to God. Maybe press that even further. Who, as you read back through this passage, who's at fault? You know, we love to find someone who's at fault, right? Who's at fault in this passage? Who isn't? Who, who isn't at fault? Is Hagar at fault? Uh, yes. She not only is proud, she was willing to do this with Abraham. Is Abraham at fault? Oh yeah, two times, absolute collapse. Totally at fault. Sarah, absolutely at fault. Everyone is at fault. There's no one who comes out with this great record. It's like, well, if we could just be more like Hagar, if we could just be more like Abraham, if we could just be like Sarah, sweet Sarah. Who isn't at fault? So where are you gonna look? You better look to God. You better look to him. This passage had better take us to God. It better help us understand that he knows us and he sees all of our decisions and he knows the tension in our lives that we live with and he knows that all of our decisions are not okay just because he sees how hard things are. Besides that, everybody's at fault. So who does he pursue? Everyone. Everyone. He's already told Sarah and Abram they're going to have a son. He's already been guiding them and leading them throughout their entire lives, through the ups and downs. He's been with them the whole time. They're just getting impatient. But he's still pursuing them. He hasn't left them. He hasn't changed his promises. Beloved, you and I are here today because of this promise that God makes to Abraham. It didn't depend on how consistent Abraham was. It depended on God. And God's pursuing Hagar. He's pursuing her when she's running away. He's going after her, talking to her, speaking to her, helping her, encouraging her. Even though the news that she hears in part is a little difficult. But it's the way that she gets freedom. God is pursuing everyone. 
So look to God. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what situation you find yourself in, look for God. And second, we need to develop gospel habits. See, when you read the Bible, you can't stop at Genesis 16. Because, strangely enough, at least to me, God determined to use this story in Genesis 16 in a letter of the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Galatians. They were a people who were really committed to Jesus plus something. And God takes this story in Genesis 16 and he applies it to his church in Galatia. The Apostle Paul actually says something along these lines. Remember the story about Sarah and Hagar? Yeah, two moms, two sons, two ways. You see, there's one way that's according to the flesh, and there's another way that's according to promise. You starting to feel the weight of this a little bit? In other words, God is saying, will you dig into your own life, Dave? Will you dig into your own life, Christ Prez? Will you dig into your own life and start thinking about your motives for how you do everything? Will you get beyond the surface, just give me the outward to-do list and not to-do list? Just give, will you get beyond that and will you actually start dealing with your own life? Are you bored yet with just trying to do the right thing and realizing that inside you're still torn up? Will you get below all that and get really at the heart level and actually start thinking about the motives and why you do what you do? Because there are really only two ways. You can either live by the flesh and, and trying to accomplish everything in your own, with your own ingenuity whether that's finding favor with other people or trying to get God's attention or trying to keep God's attention or whatever it is you feel like you can accomplish through your actions and your brains and your power and whatever else you think you got. That's one way to live. And the other is to live by promise, by the promises of God, by the grace of God, by him who all of the promises of God are yes, his name is Jesus. In other words, think about your life. Are you like Sarah? You ever try to take things in your own hands? Be honest. Just you. Not asking you to stand up and share with the whole world right now. Just you. You try to take things in your own hands? You ever find yourself lashing out? You ever find yourself being harsh with other people? You ever find yourself being angry? You ever find yourself trying to manipulate certain things so that you can get what you want? And then that backfires and you get mad at everyone else? Who do you need to admit that to? What do you need to let go of?
You like Abraham? Are you way too passive? Are there things in your life in which you're just way too passive? And you need to learn how to take some steps of asserting yourself in some ways? My hunch is if you're married, your spouse might have communicated that to you in some very specific ways. Are those true? You need to be a little more assertive in some ways. What about Hagar? A little proud? Get a little victory and think, man, that makes me superior to that. And oh, I can't wait to see them after this little victory because they're going to see me in a whole new way. Got that pride at work within? Have a tendency to rub it in? Have you forgotten how much God cares for us, for you, when you're stuck and isolated, running? Have you forgotten that God continues to pursue you? Do you remember those times when you felt isolated and he was there? You see, the gospel is of grace. Jesus was perfect in our place. He never was inappropriately passive. He was never arrogant. He was not controlling. He was even willing to submit to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did all of that so that we, by his grace, would acknowledge our control and desire for control and learn how to give that up. So that we would be more assertive. So that we would fight our pride. So that we would live as if all is of grace. And friends, that's what brings us to the table. See if you can help me this morning. On the night that Jesus was, he took bread and, and he said, take and, and do this in, of me. After he had given thanks, he also took the, and he said, this is the new covenant in my, it's shed for the forgiveness of your, take and drink. That's why God adds that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim his death until he returns. So there are active things going on when we commune together. We not only examine ourselves to see if we are in Jesus, that we recognize ourselves as sinners and our only hope is in him, but we also are declaring our unity in hope because our Christ is gonna return and he'll make all things new. And we'll get to celebrate this again. Except guess who the host, guess who the host is going to be? Not Dave. It's going to be Jesus. Your shepherd. Your eternal pastor. So, 
If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, oh, man, work through whatever doubts, questions, frustrations you have. I would love to meet with you and talk about any of that. If you don't belong to Jesus, why not? And I'm offering to meet with you and answer as best I can what God has been teaching me. I got a long way to go. But I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to listen. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, man, we want you to know Jesus and to be known by him. But if you don't, please don't eat and drink. Let's have a conversation. We'll go from there. But if you know Jesus and are known by him and belong to his church, we got to eat and drink together. We need to celebrate our hope and unity. I'm going to ask those that are helping this morning distribute if they've come forward. And I think on the screen should be all the logistics for communion. If it doesn't pop up, I'll pray and then go through those with you. But if those do come up on the screen, please feel free to read those so that you know what's going on at the table and what to do. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you would take such normal things like bread and the fruit of the vine and remind us of your body, Jesus, and your blood, that we might eat and drink and by faith feed on you, knowing that because of your work in our lives, Holy Spirit, we are feeding on Jesus himself. So take these simple things and move us along. Cause us to grow. Make us more like Jesus. Give us more hope. Make us love one another more. All for your glory. Amen. If you're new with us, know that this little tray in the middle has our allergen-free bread. So if you have any allergies, you can just use that and you should be good to go. We're going to come forward to each station and grab the bread and the cup on each side. Go back to your seats and if you would, hold and we'll all take together. There will be a roamer going around, so if you're not able to come forward, someone will find you. Just make sure you raise your hand or get someone's attention and we'll take care of that. If you're not partaking this morning, you're welcome to stay seated. You're also welcome just to come forward and pass by the elements, it's perfectly fine. But know that we're here to sup with our King. Give us just a few moments to hand out things on either side of the table and then as you see us getting to the end of that, just come on forward and let's eat and drink.